This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Hello, welcome to this qualification meeting. I am a food addict from the UK and I am your leader for this hour. After a moment of silence, will you please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. <sighs> I am very grateful to be recording a tape, actually. Uh, yeah, I still call them tapes. Um, I come from a very small fellowship, and as you were here um, in well, for quite a long time now, I've had a lot of health issues. So um, I'm quite often too ill to get to meetings. Um, so I am often bedbound listening to these recordings. And these recordings are important. They are important to us in meetings and important to, to us if we can't get to, to meetings. So, um, yeah, this is, this is good. Um, I came into FA in 2004. I was 25. Um, I think I'll start at the beginning. Um, I was born um, in England. My mum is English. My father is Portuguese. We moved straight back over to Portugal. We lived in a one-room affair. My dad was a sex addict and a drug addict and just carried on. like They were both really young, just... It was a fairly untenable situation. Um, my mum was having a nervous breakdown. Um, our friend came over and said, you cannot live like this. She gave her the... They, my mum had no money. Um, she gave her the money for a ticket. Over months, she, uh, put clo she packed clothes in a suitcase under the bed, replacing... Uh, drawers full of clothes so that he wouldn't notice. One day he went to work, we went to the airport. See you later. And I did not really get on with him from that point afterwards. I remember I used to go over there for very long, sullen, resentful summers where I would want, I don't know what I wanted from him, but I wanted something that he was totally unable to give me. Um, so back home, um, I was a small child. Um, my mum, obviously coming back from um, a, a horrible experience, needed something to validate her, and for that, for her, that was really work. Um, but it, it I felt kind of alone, um, and of course she had to do that. But yeah, I was left alone by myself a lot. We got, a, a, I had a stepdad um, who is still my stepdad today, and today we get on fabulously. Um, thank you to FA and the work that we've both been able to do in this program. Um, but at the time, it was, you know, it was a time when we didn't have blended families and we didn't talk about that stuff. And so it was just this collection of people who had no idea how to get on with this. And uh, it's just going to work. You, you just, I don't know, but you, yeah, 
Um, so it's not, not a lot of communication, people dealing with their own stuff, however they dealt with it, and not, not dealing with it. Um, my stepfather had a previous family and massive divorce guilt. Um, so when his kids came round, which I was astonished to learn in FA that they only came round once a month, it felt like they were there all the time. If you had asked me before FA, I would have said, no, they, they lived with us. Surely they must have lived with us. Um, but they didn't. Um, but it felt like they did. And they were in a very rough and dangerous situation at their home. And that bled into our home. And my parents had no kind of emotional faculty to deal with when I would talk about the bullying that I experienced. And then when that bullying turned into sexual abuse, there was really nowhere for me to go. And I don't think any of those things made me a food addict. I really identify with that sense of um, fear, doubt and insecurity the whole time. But it really gave me a lot to feel angry about and, and eat on, really. I uh, was always a very, very skinny, small child. Getting me to eat anything was a chore. And then all of a sudden, boo, food blossomed and I would have said I was a really fat kid um, I don't know that that's true actually I look back at photos now and I was taller than everyone and I developed uh, earlier than everyone I don't know I certainly wasn't as fat as I felt um, but that was I guess everyone else was skinnier so I was known as the fat kid um, and things just kind of progressed really like that, just this kind of maelstrom of dysfunction really. But on the outside everything's fine, we had plenty of money, we went on very nice holidays, so everything's fine. Um, my schooling, I never had to try very hard at school, I was lucky in that way, and so I could do very little um, and get good grades. Obviously, until schooling got hard, and I couldn't do that any longer. But about when I was about 12-ish, I started to get memories of the abuse. And then I really didn't know where to go. And I started to drink alcohol. I started drinking alcohol when I was 13. I started taking um, soft drugs, you know, softer drugs um, about that time that escalated to hard drugs uh, very quickly, 13, uh, 14, 15. Uh, so about by the, about the age of 16, um, I had lots of stress-related illnesses as well. I got lupus, um, so I had kind of sores all over my body and my face. So for someone who's already eating themselves silly and then, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good. It really wasn't good. Um, but when I was about 16, it became apparent that I was going to fail. I had an attendance record at school of 28%. I never... I never went. My mum went to parents' evening, and they were like, well, she's good when she's here. And I was like, but I drop her off every day at this building. Where is she going? Um, and I would, get the I would get a long series of public transport back home, and I would eat. Um, or I would be out taking drugs multiple times a week, and I was on a come down, and I just couldn't function. So failing was not an option, absolutely not an option for me. So I left... Um, first year of A-levels, um, 16, um, 16 years old, um, and I put down the drink and I put down the drugs and I worked and I ate. And our summer holidays are six weeks long. So when I left in the first year, I was a size 10 
um, which is what a size six, which is what I am today. And when I went back six weeks later, I was three stone heavier. That's 45 pounds, nearly heavier. I put on 45 pounds in six weeks um, because that's how I eat. Um, uh, but I passed. I got good grades. I worked from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed. And I can do that because I can do anything I put my mind to. Actually, I just can't sustain it. Um, but it give me a really hard thing to do and I will throw myself into it. But I cannot keep it up for anything that is actually required to really achieve anything. So that's really how my then, you know, my further and higher education were was just oh lots and lots and lots of effort and doing really well and oh I can't do it I'm gonna spend two weeks in bed I just can't do it anymore um and the resentment was there and and yeah part of the thing I loved about drugs was I did not think about food for those hours I think I I don't I, I couldn't have told you that at the time. That's really something I've only seen with hindsight. But that is what I loved about it. But it didn't really work. Alcohol and drugs didn't work as I thought. Well, I'm such an addict. I didn't work. They didn't work as well as I thought they could be working. Um, and it was... But so I needed to try harder. So I would apply the same logic. I need to try harder at doing these things. And I need the right combination of things. And the right combination was a fairly you know, narrow tightrope. And if I got the wrong combination, the wheels fell off embarrassingly and quickly. But it would never occur to me that it didn't work. It was that I needed to try harder at getting the right combination. Um, and this uh, just progressed, really. It was just more of the same. I could not get out of my own way. When I was 16, my mum had started to realise that something was really seriously wrong. Um, and she um, quit her big career and I went back to college and became a therapist, um, and, um, which was amazing, actually. Um, and so hence I was in therapy for the next, like, on and off for the next 10 years, which was so useful in lots of ways and so helpful because people were really trying to help me. But I, it got so that I could, I could talk a really good game and then I could keep you at a... At, the, at a comfortable distance for me um, so that you could never question or challenge anything that I was actually doing because I would just talk you down because I was angry and I was bolstered by everything I was doing and I was frightened and I was clever. Um, so I didn't change. Nothing changed. So, But I searched so much and I went to so many weird things like, you know, oh, some, I remember once some kind of therapy about there was a guy who talked to spirits and he he would think about oh and, and ask other spirits in the room what was happening it was like oh my god okay have I really come to this yes fine I will I will do anything because I did notice that when I was happier and felt more emotionally stable my food was Oh, it wasn't under control, but it was better. And that's what, that, that's what I thought the formula was. Oh, okay. I need to figure out what's wrong with me. And then I can be thin and I will be happy. Okay, fine. I, I, right, and I followed that to the ends of the earth, actually. And I, well, it kept me in good stead for FA, but it didn't really work. Um, I 
did a series of geographicals. I went to university in as far away a place as they would accept me. Um, and I, I didn't visit there before I moved there. I, the first... The first I had ever been there was the day I moved in. Um, and the similar, when I left university, um, more of the same, more trying, 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 unsustainable, long, long periods in bed where my mum would come up. Um, she'd drive 300 miles. She would get me out of bed. She would take me food shopping. She would fill the fridge. She would try and get me together. She would stay for a bit. And I would be like, right, OK, I'm going to do it this time. And she would leave. And oh, I'm just going back to bed. I just can't do it. Um, and when I left university, I got a job in a shop, which there was obviously absolutely nothing wrong with that, but I got a job in a shop because I was too scared to do or to put myself out there to do what I had spent three years training at expense to do. Um, but finally, I thought, well, no, I, okay, I, w- I will start to put myself out there for, for the career that I've been trained in. And I got a job, another, I mean, Distances are very different in England. We're a very small country with very bad roads. Um, So a job 400 miles away is a big thing. And I moved there again on a weekend. I'd never been there before. It was fine. I just got a job. I just don't know anybody. I'm just going to move there. It's fine. Um, And I fell in with a lot of people who who my drug taking went to the next level. Um, And I I would do the early shift. I would leave work. And I'd be walking home, and that was always the best part of a binge, was I'd be walking home and I would be thinking about, oh, I'm really tired because I've been at work since 5 o'clock this morning, it's now about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm going to have this, and I'm going to go past here, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to get into bed, and I'm going to watch TV, and it's, oh, it's just going to be, I don't know, amazing, it's going to work. That's what I wanted, it was going to work. And I went and I got everything, and I would sit there and... Just it was it was all right, but it wasn't it didn't wasn't what I wanted. It didn't fill me up. I had no idea that what I wanted was something to do with my soul and my spirit. I I, I well I don't know that would have just sounded ridiculous at the time, but that's what I wanted. So I thought that it must be well. I'm obviously just eating the wrong things. So I'll go and get this is savoury things. I need sweet things. I need whatever things. I need. Uh, and a bit, a bit baffled, but no other way of coping. So, well, we'll just try again tomorrow and try some different things and see if they work. Um, so it kind of just evolved into this same old, same old routine, really. I would go out, we would go out drinking on a Friday. Um, and then on a Saturday, we would go out and drinking and lots of drugs. And how much alcohol that do I then need early on a Sunday morning to facilitate the physical come down from all the drugs and the downer drugs? Um, and then how much food do I need to facilitate the hangover? And then how much food do I need to, to facilitate the emotional come down on the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday? used to hit really bad on Wednesday and a Thursday. And then it's Friday again. So who cares? It's fine. It just, and it was just a merry-go-round. And I could not... Uh, I, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't step back and think about if there was any other way because, I'd, I, yeah, I didn't... It was, I felt it was kind of sustaining because it did really keep my 
feelings at bay. I used to, in therapy, I would talk a lot of things and I would talk from my head and I never really got vulnerable, but it would be churning loads and loads of things up and I would leave therapy and there would be a corner shop right over the road and I would go there and I'd buy loads and loads of stuff and I would go home and then I would stuff it all down again for another week until I could then talk about it all again afterwards and never changed anything. Um, I was um, working um, when Britain, uh, England, I should say, won the Rugby World Cup. And <laughs> trust an addict could be comparing my insides to other people's outsides. But I was covering, I'm a I was a journalist and I was covering in the newsroom that day. And I watched them get their medals and I just thought, I will never know what that happiness is like. I, I don't know, I, I just, I don't know. So I had already had one suicide attempt. I attempted to run my car off the motorway. The M25 is a, an orbital circular motorway around the entirety of London. It's very big, it's very, very busy, um, and obviously it has no beginning and end. Um, so I was on, uh, it was lashing with rain, um, I had no seatbelt on, I was driving at about 120 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic, and at that point, the last thing I remember, I was on the far, in the fast lane. And all of a sudden, the next thing I remember, I was on the hard shoulder with my phone in my hand and my mum is on the other end. And I just said, you've got to come and get me. And she's like, okay, we're going to call the police. I was like, no, if you call the police, you will never see me again. Okay, where are you on this circular motorway? I was like, I don't know. You're just going to have to find me. So they did. They came and found me. And... I just think it's kind of funny, really, that I made them... We, they took me home, and I made them stop at a fast food place because I was aware that I could not get through this without food. Um, and they said, right, what, what, what are we going to do? I said, OK, I, I do need to go in somewhere. And for years, I thought that because I had uttered those words, I had a choice about going into treatment. Like, therefore, I had a choice that I could not have gone into treatment. Um, um, and I see today that, that, no, if I had said no, I would have just been put in treatment. But I, So I was in this treatment centre, uh, first of all, uh, for the depression programme, so I wafted around doing a bit of yoga and art and stuff, which was very nice, but wasn't really doing anything. And then they put me on the 28-day addiction programme for food. I really, I really, really thought I was there to learn how to eat, drink, and take drugs like a normal person. And I was there the whole time, really thinking that. And I remember my therapist's face when I said, "Ah, oh, yeah, because I had some um, sugar product um, last night that I found under a sofa in the living room, in a tin. Um, and, yeah, I did feel different afterwards. And she's like, yeah, huh? Um, but, no, that last weekend, they send you home uh, to kind of acclimatise, and then you come back and, and talk about it. And my last weekend, I went out for dinner, and I remember I had no pudding, and I had half of my main course, and only one glass of red, red wine, and I thought I was, I was winning. That's a good thing, isn't it? I, was to I just didn't. I had no idea. They sent me to AA meetings, and I sat at the back and read magazines 
everybody was old. I was not interested in being there. Um, they sent me to a different food program, and I loved that food program. Uh, to to be in a room full of people where people talked about what I was doing with food. I had never had that before. And I took to that food programme and I tried really, really hard. Um, but I, I wasn't getting any better. It was... Not getting worse was better than I had had in a long time, so that was enough. But actually, I didn't get better. I... By that time, kind of my behaviour in addiction had caught up with me and I had been fired from my job for causing a... Uh, what did they say? I was rude, abrupt and causing a bad feeling in the newsroom and they were, because if I wasn't spending my time in the toilet crying, I was having multiple nosebleeds a day. I would often arrive late. I would... Um, then immediately I would go to the shop to get food um, and I would get my lunch, but I would also buy all of my binge foods. But the shop was only, I don't know, like a two-minute walk from my, to my office. So all of the binge foods, I had to eat it all before I got back to the office, and I just remember cramming stuff in my face. But, you know, I'd be in the stairwell of the office because I'd kind of been aware that I've been out for an unacceptable amount of time now. And there's a stairway, there's two stairways in front of me, one going up, one going down. I'm on the landway, landing, just shoving the rest of it in my face, praying, just don't, nobody come in any doors, nobody come in any doors. Right, okay, that's done. Ah, okay, hi everyone, I'm fine. Um, and just the how it takes, I couldn't sustain it, really. I needed so much food and everything else to sustain this pretending to be fine all of the time. Um, so, where was I? I was in treatment centre. Yes, I'd been fired. I'd left the treatment centre. Um, uh, because I couldn't pay my... Uh, I didn't have a wage, so I couldn't pay my rent, so I lost my flat. Uh, luckily, I could go home to my parents, to uh, one of only two cities in that time that had FA meetings. Uh, I hadn't found FA then. Um, I was still trying in the other food fellowship, and I went on holiday. I um, went with a group of people, some of whom I'd known forever, some of whom I'd never met before, but I felt part of. And this was a first time for me. I felt comfortable in my skin, and it was really okay. I was trying at that time to not have any added sugar and not some kind of flour, maybe white, oh, I don't know. I was trying something, and I was texting somebody my food, but, you know, if we didn't eat it, that was all right. Um, and the first day of the holiday, it was like, oh, breakfast, do you want these things for breakfast? I said, like, oh, no, 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 I'm only going to have fruit. Um, and then the second day, I was like, would you like these things? Ah, oh, okay, I'll have those and fruit. And then the third day, well, I'm just going to have those, and then all bets are off. I must have changed. It was, it was the speed that really huh, uh, shocked me. It was like someone turned a light off, actually. It was that quick that that day, instantly, I changed my clothes about five times because I was sure it was what I was wearing was the problem. Uh, I picked arguments with everybody, and by five o'clock the next morning, I was actually shivering at um, buying family packs of stuff from vans. Uh, 
And I went back, I was back in the treatment centre as a day patient at that point, and I went back and I, I, I don't know what to do. Because the only place I'm going to is back to the M25. I could really see that, and I really, I was out of resources, actually. And one of the therapists broke her anonymity and said she was in FA and took me to a meeting. And um, uh, it was a quite a big meeting, actually. And what I really remember is I was welcomed, I think, by almost every person at that meeting. I felt I was made to feel so welcome. Um, and the other thing was that these were people who looked like they never had an issue with food a day in their lives. And so I could not relate. And it was almost like, mm -mm. And, and I could hear what they were saying, and that was okay. Um, but I was too blinded by how well they looked. And it wasn't blinded in a way as I want that. It was like these people couldn't possibly understand what I was going through um, because I am special and different. Um, and, but I went home, and my parents, I remember them, their eager little faces, wow. Um, and I was like, oh, I've got, I think I've got to do this. Oh, God, I felt like um, there was something kind of pulling me from my gut that I knew I had to do it, and the rest of me was just going, no, no, I can't do it, I can't do it. But I, I got a sponsor that night, and I started, and I had no idea how... Um, Oh, I don't know, I think I started to learn then that I was actually a food addict. I had had in the back of my mind all of the time that at any time I could turn this on or off. Um, I had periods of under-eating in my teens where I could go for a very long time without, without um, food. And I really thought that one day that resolve would just come back. That's what I was waiting for, and it didn't. So early recovery was hard. Um, it felt like someone had taken my skin off and I was full of unresolved issues and rage. Um, and to really start dealing with some of that, um, it is amazing how powerful and how gentle the healing is that is on offer in this program. Um, I remember doing my first study of the steps in an AWOL and writing my step four and just phoning my sponsor saying it wasn't my fault oh my god it wasn't my fault um and just and I changed I I had no idea what I loved about therapy was the addict thing and I could think about why and why and I could just sit around not doing anything just thinking about why and all the terrible things that had been done to me um and and people in the FA weren't interested in that. It's like, yeah, but I've got problems. I don't care. I've got real problems. I don't care whether I've done my quiet time or, or you know, made three phone calls. Um, and, but they really did. And I began to actually change. I began to do things differently. And it started with I being honest around my food. Um, and so I started to eat what I said to myself and others that I was going to eat. So I stopped breaking promises to myself around my food. And that gave me a bit of integrity. And that kind of rippled out into other areas where I could, you know, I was unemployed and unemployable for about the first 18 months. But then I could, I went back to work as, as well, the, I did the job that I used to have a, 
a work experience do? And don't you, don't you understand? I'm very good at my job. I'm not doing this. And, and, but I would show up. I, I learned how to be an, an employee and I learned how to go to work on time and make other people cups of tea and do what was asked of me and then take f- criticism and feedback and then go home. I had never done any of these things before, and I learned how to be a friend, and me and my mum worked on our relationship so hard. Um, And I worked on my relationship with my dad in, in a different way, but I really did. He never got into recovery, and he died very suddenly. But before he died, I got the opportunity to go and really make my peace with him. And I remember my sponsor saying, this is an opportunity for you to say thank you. Thank you for what? (laughs) He's never given me a birthday present. He's never given me a Christmas present. And it's like, but we kept talking. and, And, oh, actually, he was the most resourceful addict I ever met. And I inherited some of that. And that was really helpful. Well, it helped keep me alive. And it was really helpful in my job. I I was known as somebody who got things done. And we also have the same hands. And so I was able to go to him and say this. And obviously, he he had had a stroke. It's terribly bad taste, but I just think it's really funny. He had had a stroke and was completely paralyzed. And he was in hospital. And um, he obviously sensed that I was about to say something emotional when I sat down. And he was trying to get away as far as a paralyzed person could. And I just, you know, I said thank you. And I said all of this stuff. And and then, you know, we left it. But the next day when I went back, um, well, first of all, I realized that I say these things for me. Um, Actually, I say it for my own I don't know, my own sense of self-respect and self-esteem, and and that is incredibly, I don't know, I grow from that stuff. Um, When I went back the next day, he said, oh, we we do have the same hands. Oh, you're listening, that's cool. And then a, a nurse walked in, and he lit up from the inside, and I had this ding moment where I thought, whenever there is skirt in the room, I will cease to exist. And that has nothing to do with me. And for my whole life, I had thought it was all to do with me and that I was in some way lacking. Um, and it was really nothing to do with me. And, and so whilst, you know, grief, it wasn't like, ta-da, but now I have a program to help me resolve all these unresolved things. I spent my whole life up to my ears in unresolved issues, and it's just not like that today. It's really not at all. I feel solid and robust in myself and, and, and this kind of deep sense of okay, which that's very different. Um, I got, um, about 10 years ago, um, I got Lyme disease. And um, the, for, I've been pretty, pretty well, a much better than I, than I had been before for the last two years, but for those eight years from 2010, I was bedbound most of the time. Um, and it's amazing because actually in that time, I also got married and I also had two kids. And it is really is amazing what you can achieve with a program if you're just doing 10 mi- things for 10 minutes a day. Um, and I'm just the next right thing, the next right thing, the next right thing. Lyme disease is a disease that, um, for a start, it affects every um, system in your body. Um, so everybody has different symptoms. 
and the medical community can't agree on that it even exists, let alone what to do about it. So it's a lot of, oh, so it's a blank piece of paper as to what we're going to do. Oh, okay. And it's the next right thing and really getting into it. And um, I've had to learn how to embrace this, actually, because I can feel exactly the same amount of awful physically two days in a row and one day I'll be like huh great I'm going to bed with a really rubbish book it's going to be fine have a great day and the other day I I don't want this and I feel like I'm letting everyone down and blah 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 and I can't get to my meeting I have a big thing about am I going to get to my meeting oh I'm not well enough to get to my meeting oh my god that means I'm going to be like struck in a binge and and it's the thin end of the wedge and, and it's no it's not any of those things I put one foot in front of the other, normally up towards my bedroom. I make calls, I do what I can, and I just do the next right thing. But if I really get into it, I am okay. And whilst I've not enjoyed the past 10 years of in, in that respect, as I said, I've had a lot of amazing things in my life. That, that aspect has not defined me. And that's amazing, actually. And that is this program, because we learn how to show up on a daily basis to do difficult things in this program. Um, and I could not, there's no way, absolutely no way I could do any of this on my own. Um, so I'm a stay-at-home mum, which I don't always like, but I feel very privileged because if I was well, I would, oh, I'd totally be out at work much, <laughs> much easier. <laughs> I think, obviously, I think other people have it easier than I do. Um, but it's amazing that I get to show up for this thing that sometimes I really struggle with every day because I find my kids pretty annoying. They're great, but they're really annoying. Um, and I am very easily annoyed. And FA helps me to be a little less easily annoyed. And when I am frequently easily annoyed, then I get to say I'm sorry. I say sorry a lot. And that's, that's, you know, that is wonderful. So this program, it hasn't given me a life back because I never had one before. It has taught me how to exist in a, a really safe world. Actually, I used to feel like the world is a very unsafe place, and I don't feel that way anymore. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.